I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, this is the Nature Jobs podcast. I'm Julie Gould. In this month's episode, we're talking about how lab supervisors can improve their coaching relationships with their research staff. Assumptions are poisonous <laughs> because you assume something, you mix up your own experience, your own situation, your own drama that you went through with the challenges that the, the other person is Facing. And we'll also be looking at how scientists can help improve their cybersecurity when traveling. When I'm traveling, you know, I, I try to just sort of protect myself from uh, my own mistakes. Mentees also emphasised how their mentors always made themselves available to listen, advise and give practical support, offering encouragement when assays failed to work, when things went wrong in the lab or in their personal lives and when they felt like giving up. These are the words of Alison Abbott, who this month writes about the winners of the 2017 Nature Awards for Mentoring in Science. Every December, nature celebrates the crucial roles that mentors play in the lives and careers of early career researchers. Abbott has hit the nail on the head with this. Mentors are a crucial part of early career researchers' lives. But although many young researchers aim to become PIs and supervisors and group leaders, they often don't fully appreciate what this role entails. And like Abbott says, it's not just the pleasure of dictating your own research. With great power comes great responsibility. You need to manage and lead other young researchers in their work, coach them through any career problems or difficult questions they might have. And sadly, scientists aren't trained for this, says Sasso Kochevar, the founder and managing director of HFP Consulting. This is a company that works with scientists, coaches, science researchers in leadership, communication and conflict management. And I spoke to him to find out a little bit more about what supervisors and PIs can do in order to support their researchers through difficult times. I think it's very important that supervisors learn to change their attitudes this would be a change in the paradigm of how they see themselves as researchers and as leaders in research. People who lead research groups need to realize that their role is not only be an expert in science, but a leader of people who do science. So 
So you need to devote more time on the human interaction and the people who are around you. They deserve that. They need you. They need your time, attention, support. And this is part of your job. Many PIs have not really understood that. There's a whole universe of young, talented, and motivated people who work in science but have never been properly trained how to deal with human interaction, how to deal with topics like conflict resolution, how to lead properly, how to delegate properly, how to manage time. So how can we help those supervisors learn to answer these questions. I don't know what to do with my career. I'm not sure science is the right thing for me. What should I do? Let's use that as an example. So what if someone approaches a supervisor with a question like that? What's what's the first thing that they should do? So the most common mistake is you hear the question and immediately your brain connects this question to your life experience and to all the solutions that you have found in your life for how to handle specific challenges, and then you provide the solution. Before even understanding what the real worry or concern of the student is, and this is why the listening is so important. The thing that PIs and supervisors do need to be careful of is then to not make assumptions. Assumptions are poisonous. <laughs> Because you assume something, you mix up your own experience, your own situation, your own drama that you went through with the challenges that the the other person is facing. If you just assume, people will not feel that you really understand them. And what you want to develop is a trustful relationship. People need to feel that they are understood. So this is why... You should be very careful with assumptions, rather ask more questions and go deeper into the understanding of the situation so that the person who is listened to will feel, ah, okay, my my boss really understands me. This is the precondition for people to feel safe, respected, connected. This is the precondition then also for for them to relax and to be able to develop own solutions. So is there some sort of process that we could advise these coaches, these PIs to follow so that if they are approached by a researcher, then they can have a framework to work with? There's a very nice acronym that I use when I have such a situation. This acronym is called GROW. It's easy to memorize, GROW, growing people, so you want your coachee to grow And the G stands for the goal. What is the goal of our conversation? Here it is very important to ask the coachee to define the goal. And the better the goal is defined, the better will be the outcome. The R is reality. What kind of skills do you bring to the table? What have you learned? What are your scientific skills, technical skills, but also transferable skills? When will your fellowship end? What are the facts? The O means the options. What kind of options do you have? And here you you open, let's say, a playground of possible options. You you can brainstorm together with your coachee. Options means also what kind of inner resources can you use to tackle, let's say, the challenging situation, but also what kind of resources can you use from outside? So who could help you? 
who could assist you, who could mentor you during the process. Then the W is the way forward. This is actually very important so that you, in the end of your conversation, will have something like an action plan. So what will you do? You, you ask questions like, okay, after looking back at our conversations, what is your idea? What should you do? What will be the first thing that you need to do? What will be the second, third, fourth? And I always recommend to write this down. So people really go with a list, with a written list of things that they will do. Devoting more time and attention to your team members is also important in industry scientific research teams. Darren Lee is a business leader for measurement and analysis at the National Nuclear Laboratory in the UK. And he has had experience in working and building teams both in industry and academia. And he says that when it comes to building the team in the first place, the obvious skills to look out for when hiring are the hard skills or the technical skills needed to do the job. But other skills are becoming more and more important when you decide who you want to hire for a successful team. Understanding these softer skills and people's behavioural competences will ultimately make or break a good team. And what we're actually talking about here is people's behavioural competences, such as the ability to work in teams, having resilience when times going gets tough, as they say. You need to avoid people who you know are going to create conflict in a team or cause issues. It needs to operate harmoniously. You can't have conflicting personality types within a team because when it comes to the formation of a team and the way people typically describe it as forming a team, forming, storming, norming, and then performing is is a typical process that you go through. If you end up in a team or with a team that has conflict, you'll never escape the forming and the storming. It just keeps going round in circles as people come and go from your team. So you spend a lot of time attracting people, you spend a lot of time training them, but you never retain them. The worst aspect of that is that you have to go through the whole process again, and that's a very costly business. Thank you to Sasso Kochava and Darren Lee for sharing their insights into coaching and team building. You can read more about the 2017 Nature Mentoring Awards at go.nature.com forward slash mentoring. Now, you've probably noticed it's coming up to the festive season and many, we hope, will have the opportunity to travel and get away from the office, even if the work ends up coming with you, which sadly is inevitable sometimes. But this does mean that you need to be careful on how you protect and travel with your data. In a recent Nature Toolbox article, Cybersecurity for the Travelling Scientists, we shared some stories on how scientists have been caught up in places where they need to hand over their electronics and hence their sensitive data. David Payne, our Chief Careers Editor at Nature, had a chat with Professor Mark Gerstein, a bioinformatician from Yale University, to ask him why it's so important to protect your data when you're on the move. That's a good question. I mean, you want to protect your data for yourself because the data is precious to you. You want, you might also want to protect it because the data is about someone else or some other institution. Um, you know, and if it's compromised, it won't so much hurt you, but it will help hurt that other institution and so forth. Like I said, there's sort of different reasons to do it, and people should be um, kind of conscious of that. I mean, just simply protecting your data. You know, what I'm saying if if you're like if 
you know, like, for instance, if you have like a, in the extreme, like a next-gen sequencing file of a plant, and there's no confidential information there, but it's your important data, you know, the, 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 you don't really have to worry so much about, oh, I don't know, losing the laptop or someone seeing it. It's just the main thing is you got to keep that thing backed up. You know, you have to make sure everything is really well backed up so that if you drop your computer, you break the thing, you you can get the data back. And so that's one level. And that, but that's very, you know, that's kind of the first level where it's just backing the thing up. And then there's, you know, more levels where you want to make sure someone else, someone else's eyes don't see that for a whole variety of different reasons. So just, I think the key thing is there's different um, reasons and motivations, and you can kind of, you should kind of separate them in your head when you think about uh, protecting yourself and your data. Uh, so, Mark, you describe yourself as very security conscious in our Toolbox article. So I'd like to hear about the steps that you take when you're traveling for work. When I'm traveling, you know, I, I try to just sort of protect myself from uh, my own mistakes, mostly. I'm, <laughs> I'm you know, I, mo- most of my... Uh, Security breaches and leaks have usually come from my own fault, unless uh, from me being uh, kind of uh, attacked by nefarious people. And you know, by my own fault, I usually mean I just lose things. And so there's some nice things you can do with um, you know technology to um, uh, help you with those things. I mean, obviously, a lot of the um, phones and devices. And, and even computers now uh, have some form of uh, tracking associated with them. Uh, the other thing I found quite useful is uh, they make um, little RFID trackers uh, nowadays that you can affix to uh, lots of things. Like, for instance, I affix them to uh, my USB keys. Uh, the key thing to realize is that this is not <laughs> stuff that's going to protect me from the NSA or some nefarious foreign government. So the, the Toolbox article talks about virtual private networks, VPNs, and some countries have cracked down on the use of these recently. Um, and you, you use them in the US, actually, when you're traveling within the US, which made me think, you know, is that over-precautionary? And just why, why do you do that? So a lot of organizations require you to use a VPN to access that organization, you know, just as a kind of um, authentication or credentialing so they know it's you. Um, also, I've um, found that, you know, using a VPN means that a lot of your um, traffic has an additional level of uh, encryption on it, which is, is good. And what advice would you give to researchers that are scientists that are, you know, are traveling through their work, their conferences or on field trips, or they're sort of even on private travel with their laptops and stuff with them? How, how can institutions and other employers help, you know, protect data when scientists are on the road? The, you know, the, the simplest thing to do is just to make sure that that device has some form of encryption, you know, like your, you know, the whole disk encryption on the laptop or your, um, you know, phone and so forth is encrypted. So the worst thing is if you lose your device and that your password and all that type of stuff, it's pretty hard for someone to pick it up and um, get the information off it. I mean, if you really worry about these things, you know, there's this notion of kind of like, um, uh, burner laptop or burner devices. And yes, I was going to ask you about those. We mentioned them in the um, in the in the toolbox article. So I'd never heard that term before. So tell me about a burner laptop and a burner smartphone. The thought process is, you know, imagine you're going to um, a foreign country and you have some confidential information um, on your uh, laptop. Okay, and you um, you know you're going to go through passport control or something like that and you know what a lot of people do is they just go through with a laptop that's completely clean and has nothing on it and they can open it up and do anything uh, they want with it and then when they get to the other side they connect to the institutions um, to the institution through a VPN 
uh, and just download the relevant uh, data. And then, you know, when they go back, they just wipe the laptop or wipe the thing. And so the, the, the laptop or the device really is, um, I, I guess it's meant to be burned. <laughs> you know, it's, it's meant to be just kind of tossed and so forth. Thanks to David Payne and Mark Gerstein. Now, time for our Ask the Expert for this month. And our question comes from the 2017 London Nature Jobs Career Expo at ND, Daniela Catania. She is doing a marine ecology PhD at the e-commerce lab at the Nice Sophia Antipolis University in France. How, after a long having a CV full of like educational degrees and not enough industrial experiences, how can you go past that and try and show the employer, the new employer, that you're willing to learn and willing to like overcome the lack of experiences and learn at the job. And I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Joanne Carmens, Executive Director of Adgene, to answer this question. So, Joanne, over to you. Well, all the other kinds of employers are looking for you to do things during your grad and postdoc training that speaks to an interest in those other careers. So you want to show collaboration, be active on committees, demonstrate teamwork, communication skills, have projects outside your science bench work. Um, it's really important to use those projects also to develop a network of relationships. You can be referred or know the person that's hiring you. When they want you and not just a person, it isn't hard for them to see past a few missing qualifications, for example. And you should remember that job descriptions are aspirational. No employer gets all the qualities they want in a single candidate. You should be bold about applying and use your network to get your resume on someone's desk, not just submit online. Thanks to Daniela Catania and Joanne Carmens for this month's Q&A. Don't forget that if you've got a question, you can send it in to us and we will do our best to find an expert to help you answer it. Just send your questions to naturejobseditor at naturejobs.com and we will do our best to get back to you. You can follow more of our Nature Jobs adventures on the blog at blogs.nature.com forward slash naturejobs, on Twitter at naturejobs and of course we're on Facebook. But if you want some really good Christmas reading... Don't miss the last nature issue of the year, which will be going live and publishing on the 21st of December. There's a great piece by Chris Walston, which summarises a selection of the best science careers tips from our year. Definitely something to kickstart 2018 with. But obviously, don't forget about us. Come back next year when we kickstart the 2018 Nature Jobs podcast with an episode all about new beginnings and endings in science. A lot of the people who I talk with Tell me, I'm really afraid that if I close the lab, I'm just going to go home, turn on the television, sit on the couch and, and pass away. And of course, we'll also hear about some new research on the benefits of developing those all important transferable skills. PhDs in science are happy across the board in a variety of sectors. They're enjoying their jobs. And that's data that I try to share with the trainees. Some really good stuff to come. So, from all of us here at Nature Jobs, Merry Christmas! We hope you have a wonderful winter break, a happy new year, and hopefully a well-deserved rest. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Julie Gould. Thank you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.